0: Thanks for being here at Outward Church. You you made a, a great choice to be at church this morning. We believe that it is critically important for the body of Christ to gather regularly, for us to make it an absolute priority to be at church unless there's other things that are going on, not because, it, not because it saves us, but because it helps us understand who Jesus is on a regular basis. You, you may have heard of the 30-day vision leak. I think most of us have a 7-day vision leak. We lose the vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives, and as a result, what happens is that we begin to slip, and we begin to lose our footing in that. So our purpose here at Outward Church is to help us to understand the gospel, It's to help us to understand the gospel and how it speaks into every part, every aspect of our lives. And we want to hear that over and over and over again because we need reminders. I need reminders. We get that through the Word of God and through the preaching of the Word of God together so that we can be on mission in our city. And uh, consequently, our hope is this, that as a result our community is better because of what Outward Church is doing in our city by the power of Jesus Christ to the gospel. Because we don't value money the way that other people do. We value Jesus Christ above all things. So our money is not the most important thing. And so as a result, when we love Jesus, what it helps us do is it helps us live outward in our community. It helps us be giving. It helps us serve our community. It helps us make our community better. That's how we benefit uh, our city. And we want our city to be able to say we would miss Outward Church if they were gone. And one of the ways that we're doing that is by serving at Richmond Elementary. We've been serving there for years, but now we're, st- we're stepping it up quite a few notches. We have a soccer club that's going on there on Fridays. We have mentoring that's going on there throughout the week. And then we also have a uh, backpack Food program. Some of these kids in the Richmond Elementary neighborhood, and I'm sure all throughout the city, go home, and their home lives are not as good as maybe yours are. And so they go home, and there is not food to eat, and they're not sleeping at night, but one of the things, uh, one thing we can't do is we can't force parents to put their kids to bed on time, but what we can do is we can give food to these kids. So imagine you're in elementary school and you go home and you don't have food to eat um, uh, each night over the weekend. And the only time that you get fed is when you come to school. Imagine that for a second. It's horrific to think about kids who are doing without in that way. Outward Church wants to do something about that. The, The school has asked us to do something about that. We are putting together a team, a group of people to help with that. Here's what you can do. There's, a, there's uh, three different things. You can help out with the soccer club, you can help out with mentoring, and you can help out with uh, the food program. You can do one of those three things. You can do all of them if you want, if you have time. But let me just tell you how you can do that. You can go right back to Grand Central. It's a yellow desk that's right back here, and they will have a way for you to sign up. We're gonna take your information down. We're gonna get you plugged in with the leader who's doing that and, and, and see if it works for your schedule and, and work that out. But we're taking on a commitment For this year and for for, from now until the end of the school year to figure out how we're going to feed these kids over the weekend and so what we're going to be doing is giving them food put it in their bags uh, or apparently we the school has some backpacks that they send home with them and we're going to fill those up at Richmond Elementary we're going to build relationships there we're also going to help these kids so that's one way that you can get involved in that respect Um, in addition to this uh, last week was a uh, huge week as far as attendance goes at Outward Church. We had a hundred more people here last week than we did uh, a year ago that same week. That is huge. And so, yes. <laughs> The reason why we're excited about that is not because we have more numbers. It's because more people get to be on mission with us in our city. More people get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ on a regular basis. And you can be a part of helping make that happen here. With more people comes more responsibilities and more things that need to be done. So you can help by serving. Uh, There's a number of different ways you can do that. Immediately after the service, Brian Bradley, the, the elder who oversees... Our uh, children's area will be standing right here um, at the stage, and you can come talk to him about what that looks like. Hear a little bit about it. It's not a lifetime commitment. We're looking for an hour and a half commitment once a month from now until um, the, end of the end of the school year, and you can reevaluate. You could reevaluate midstream if you wanted to. We're looking for people who wanna serve and be a part of this. So you can help uh, by doing that. And if there's any other way that you'd like to get involved, right back at Grand Central is the place to do that. We're gonna be kicking off a big push to have more volunteers uh, be a part of that. If you can turn with me to James chapter uh, four, we're gonna pick up where I left off last week. And James chapter four is talking about relationships. It's very practical. It's very, uh, it's very practical. He gets into our lives and tells us how we can function, how we can get along. It's no secret that in the context of the church, there's been a lot of fights and quarrels. It's no secret that within the context of our marriages, there is a lot of fighting and quarreling. Uh, many of you are in your first couple of years of marriage. If, if you haven't just started, you're about to start your marriage um, maybe you're not married quite yet, um, but you're looking forward to that time. Some of you have been married longer, and, and so there's, there's, there's that friction that's going on. Some of you have relationships, and, and maybe you're single, and so you, you're experiencing that same type of friction. We, we think about the friction that goes on in, in our city, and in our, in our world, uh, amongst the people that we work with and uh, the people that we interact with, and it, and it happens a lot. And so what we said this last week is what James says here. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you isn't not this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. And he goes on. And what we said about that is this, is that passions, these ideas of passions are hedonistic desires. They're desires that go down to the deepest parts of us that say, I want pleasure above all else. And ultimately what we do with pleasure is we say, I am making pleasure my God. My God is pleasure. I will serve it, I will worship it. And so we say, I I want pleasure at all costs. But oftentimes the the way that we receive pleasure is through these very deeply rooted desires, whether it's for approval or comfort or security or control. And so we say, the way that I receive pleasure Uh, pleasure the most is when I'm in control of my environment, when I'm in control of things, or when I have approval, or when I have the utmost security. That's when I sense pleasure. That's when I can relax. That's when I can feel like things are okay. And so we make a God out of something. And what James says is this, is that when your passions are at war with you, when you have another God that is on the throne of your life, what happens is this, you will serve that God at the expense of your family. You'll serve that God at the expense of your city. You will serve that God and honor that God and love that God and sacrifice uh, sacrifice things to that God at the expense of your relationships. And what James says is this, he says, this is not from God. We're gonna pick it up in verse four. He says, you adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Do you not know that this type of friendship, it's not just like I'm friends with somebody because we want to be friends with our city and people all around us. No, James is saying when you say we are one in heart and spirit with people who are not of the Word of God, who are not of Jesus Christ, when we say, we're going to operate on what they think, we're going to operate according to Oprah or whoever you want to say, okay, I'm going to follow what they're doing, or this latest self-help book, when we say, I'm going to operate in that way, that is friendship to the nth degree that says this, I'm one in heart and soul with that person, with that people group, and what James says is this, that does not belong... In the community of believers we really should be different and so he says you're adulterous and he's the reason why he's saying this is he says basically when God takes you in as one of his people what he believes is this and what what is true about us is that we're in a relationship with God and it's a spousal relationship it's as though we're married to God And God says, it is spiritual adultery. When you look at your life and you say, "Uh, it doesn't matter how I act. It doesn't matter about the things that I do. I can have these fights and these quarrels. That person ticked me off. So I got to tell them what it's like. Or that church, I hate that church. And so I'm going to talk trash about it. I had a guy do that with me the other day. uh, Not from our church, but I I just stopped him and said, I don't want to hear it. Those guys are my friends. That has no place in the community of believers. That has nothing to do with this. That is of the world. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And what is enmity? Enmity is hostility with God. It's hostility with God. It's showing hostility towards God. But let me tell you this. It's more than us showing hostility to God. It's God having hostility towards us, towards our sin. We got to start there for a second. A lot of people will say this. And say, hey, I thought God is love. God is love. But that's not the only thing that God is. God is also just, and it's unjust to not be so loving to you that he would correct your misunderstanding of what it looks like to be a Christian or what it looks like to be a person. God is just in that respect. God is the one who says this. this is, these are what the rules are. But oftentimes we say, you know what? I don't. I don't really want to go along with the rules, so I'm going to do my own thing. And so what happens is this: is that oftentimes we have an immense amount of guilt. We have an immense amount of guilt. And there's a couple things that we can do with our guilt. We can say we can. I, we can say I'm going to deny the guilt in my life. We can say you know what? Uh, just because I'm not meeting a standard that some Christian you know, or some other religion puts forth, you know, that, that doesn't mean anything. Morality is a social construct, essentially. You know, who, who cares about that? Or we can, say, we can deny our guilt in this way. We can say, you know what? I'm not really that bad. I'm not really that bad of a person. This is oftentimes the, the fight between irreligious and religious people. Irreligious say, morality is a social construct. Religious people say, Morality isn't a social construct, but I'm not that bad. Those are two ways to deny your guilt and to say, I don't really have guilt in my life. But at the end of the day, if you really know the scriptures, if you really know God, and if you're really honest with yourself, you can't shake it. You could try to drown it away. I, I, I uh, watched a, uh, a show just recently on the Jonestown thing that happened in Guyana. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. But a lot of people left this cult. They got out of there before everybody killed themselves, or before they were killed, and they went through life, and they essentially tried to drown out the guilt that happened as a result of that, because they got out, and their sister, or their brother, their parent, their friends did not get out. They didn't turn around and grab them. They just took off, and what happened was this. They have immense amount of guilt. Nearly every single one of these people is suffering, and what's happening is that there's substance abuse. There's acting out sexually. There's the desire for more and more things. And their lives were a wreck. But many of them were able to get away from the substances and and finally come to peace on some level. But this is what guilt does to us. It can tear apart your life. It can tear apart everything that's going on inside of you. It can make you so Uh, It make you come to a point where you just say, I'm so unacceptable to God if I really were to face that. And so instead of facing that, I'm going to say it's a social construct or I'm going to say I'm not really that bad. I'm not not really doing anything. I'm pretty much a good person. But here's what God wants you to know. Here's the reality of who we are. This is something different that you're going to hear at Outward Church possibly than maybe... Some other churches that you've been to. We don't have the only right way, but we read the scriptures and this is what we see. And it says this, that I am at odds with God. Not only am I angry with God and not only do I have hostility, enmity towards Him, but He has hostility toward me because of my sin. He has hostility towards me. And guess what? who he's talking about? He's talking not just about people who don't know Jesus or don't have a relationship with him. He's talking about people that do have relationship with him. And so he's, he's saying this to a Christian community. And he's saying this, that you are openly showing hostility towards God. And God has hostility towards you because of your friendship with the world. The wrath of God is coming down on you. Do you know what your guilt is? It's the reality that God has implanted in your life that says this. You will be accountable. You will be held accountable for the things that you do, for the things that you say, the way that you say them, for the way that you operate. You will be held accountable. There is this judicial slam like wham! It's just, it's, it's, it's like, this is justice? Only a loving God would be so just to say, I must punish sin. It's, it has to be punished. And so what James is trying to say, he's trying to say here, he's like, listen, you don't understand what's going on in your life. You're denying the reality that you're hostile with God. You're denying this reality. And what's happening is that you're living this light and airy life lifestyle. Oh, it's fine. I can do what I want. I can act any way that I want. I can function any way that I want inside the context of the church. I can have money, sex, and power any way that I want. My God is approval, comfort, security, control, and it doesn't matter. But James says it does matter because that's friendship with the world and it's enmity, it's hostility with God. But here's what James says next. He says, Or do you suppose, in verse five, it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Now, I don't know about you, but I get confused when I read this because what I just heard was this, that God is hostile towards me, I'm hostile towards him, and I'm hearing this justice theme, and then all of a sudden now I'm hearing this relational theme. It's like he's this jealous lover. He's stalking me on Facebook, right? He's, he's like, who is he hanging out with now? What's going on? What's, what's happening? But it's not that kind of jealousy. It's not the wrong kind of stalking jealousy. It's a different kind of jealousy. Because when he looks at you, when he looks at his creation, when he looks at his child, when he looks into your life, do you know what he sees? He sees a child that he loves deeply. He sees a child that he loves deeply. And and what's going on is this word jealousy is essentially saying this. He's yearning for a relationship with me. And yet I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm hostile towards him. And I'm pushing him away, and yet he's yearning for me, and yet at the same time, he's saying, "Only a just God would be hostile towards your sin, and yet he's yearning for me. He wants relationship with me. So in the midst of your and my guilt, in the midst of these situations, God is essentially saying this, "I want you. I want you." I want relationship with you. I want to live with you. I want to abide with you. And yet you push me away. He is jealous. And James is saying this. He's not appealing to the, oh, you better watch out. God's going to get you theme. James isn't appealing to that. He said, yes, it's a reality that God is hostile towards you in this. But he longs to be with you. Do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? James is saying this. When you have relationship with God and you know him fully, you know his judicial element, you know what he's like, you know how hardcore he is, if you also know how much he loves you how much he's jealous for a relationship with you, how much he just, he just wants to be with you. He just wants to hang out with you. Do you know how that would change your life? Do you know how that would change the things in your and my life? I find in, in the midst of parenting that I, uh, I walked into being a parent thinking that I'm gonna have this fantastic relationship with my kids. And I, I'm going to hold the line. I'm going to be so just. I'm going to spank like all those, uh, not like all those other people that are in the mall, and the kid is like screaming at this like ear-piercing like level. It sounds like Mariah Carey on crack. You know, it's like ah! windows are breaking and stuff like that, and you're just like, just come on, just get, just spank that sucker. I mean, just, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get after this. And so early on, one of my kids uh, totally screwed up, right? And what happened was this, is that I, I uh, came home, wife was like, you need to take care of this. And I said, you're dang right. And I made up my mind, I don't want to do this, but I am going to deal with this issue. And so I disciplined the child. And I made sure that that child knew they should never screw up this way again. So then we go on a little bit further in life, and what happens is this, is that some things begin to take place where we don't feel like we're hearing the truth. And pretty soon we're like, I feel like that was a lie. I feel like that was a lie. I feel like that was a lie. And we're just kind of coming apart at the seams, just going, you know, me and Chris are just going, why is this happening? Can't our child see that we love them so much, that we love them so much, and that we just, we just want them, we just want them to, to tell us the truth. Why, why can't they tell us the truth? And so we're battling between this, do we come with the judicial, like, if you ever, if you ever, if you ever, or do we come with grace? And so what happened was this, is that we began to think through this, We said we disciplined severely the last time that they told the truth. And what we did is we effectively, possibly uh, made it really clear that every time you tell the truth, you get spanked, right? And so what we found out was this, is that there was this great fear of of discipline. There was this great fear, and so there was no openness towards having a relationship with this child, and so finally we just, we just said, you know what? We have to come down to this place where we say, we just want relationship with you, and the thing that we need to know the most is that we are hearing the truth from you, and we, we just want to know you, and there's separation between us when this is taking place. And so finally we sat down on the couch. We didn't come in a fury. We came as someone who loves deeply. and We said, we love you. We care about you so much. We love you so much. We, we, ju- we want what's best for you. Can you please tell us what took place here? Can you please tell us? and then it starts coming out. And we say, okay, why didn't you tell us the truth? I was afraid, I was afraid. But we love you, we love you so much and we just want the best for you. Can't you just tell us the truth, tell us, tell us more, tell us more? So what happened here is this, is that now we have relationship with our child and we're able to say, listen, we love you so much, and yes, We don't want this hostility. But here's what it's based on. It's not based on that. It's based on our relationship. We are jealous for relationship with you. We want relationship with you. Do you see what James is saying here? He's saying, don't you see that he's a father sitting down with his child and he just says, I just want relationship with you. And you keep going after other lovers. You're wronging me in this. You keep walking away. Can't you see? He yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell within us. He wants to be with us. He wants relationship. Then he says, but he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. Let's stop right there for a second. It seems like a a weird argument to have. He begins with this judicial element. He goes to relational element, and he says, but he gives more grace because he knows this, that you and I, if we hear it in all reality and in all seriousness, the thing that we're going to hear is this, I'm wrong. I got stuff that's going wrong with me. Yeah, I... I keep walking away from me. He wants to be with me, and yet I keep sinning, and so I know there's a barrier between us, and I can't get through that. I can't get through that barrier because I know I can't clean myself up. I can't do enough. But then he says, but he gives more grace. Well, the first thing I thought is, who does he give more grace than? Does he give more grace than the world? Does he give more grace than you know your 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 family who does he give grace to what is grace anyway grace is the forgiveness that we get for sin grace is this unmerited favor they say it's by no ability on your own do you receive anything. It's solely, it's one-ended, it's God towards me. And what he's saying is this, he's saying, he gives more grace than you can possibly sin. For every sin, there's got to be grace. So you sin a little bit, there's grace. You sin a little bit more, there's more grace. Sin a little bit more, there's more grace. He gives more grace. He gives more grace than anything or anyone or anyhow. He gives more grace than anything that you could experience. What does this mean? It says in Romans 5, it says this. It says in Romans 5, 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. What it means is this, is that God allowed his moral law, which then brought guilt, to come in because he wanted you and I to be able to see how wrong we are in relation to God. He wanted us to see how wrong we are in relation to him, not to put you down and say, you're such a horrible person, you're all this. No, he wants you to see how separated you are from him. He wants you to experience how much you need him. And then it says this, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The NIV says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And when you wrap your reign around that verse, when you think about this, but he gives more grace. I'm hostile towards God. He's jealous towards me. I keep sinning, but he gives more grace. I keep screwing things up, but he gives more grace because of this. When I sin, there's more grace. When I sin a little bit more, there's more grace. When I sin a little bit more, there's more grace. Do you know where there's not grace? In our life, all all the way around us. You think about our judicial system. If you get a DUI, you can go through diversion once. But if you get another DUI, you get all the penalty from the first offense and the penalty for the second one. There's only so much grace to go around. The first time, they give you grace. The second time, there's no more grace. And then pretty soon, you get enough DUIs, you lose your license. There's no more grace. Grace is limited. You think about the three strikes in your outlaws that some of our states have which are essentially this. You can only screw up so much and then you're done. This is not God. He gives more grace. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. God is the perfect father because he continues to love his kids. He's continually jealous over them. He continually pours out grace because he gives more grace over and over and over and over and over and over again. You can't You cannot. It is impossible to out sin God. You can't out sin Him. There's nothing that you can do. I gave my life to Christ, and then I ended up in this sexual relationship that I know that I shouldn't have been in, or I had an affair, or I've been involved in things. I've been stealing. I screwed over somebody from the church. I. You can't out sin God. You cannot do it. God's grace is immeasurably more than you could possibly imagine. You cannot do enough to have God say, that's enough. I'm done with that person. He is always jealous for a relationship with you. He always wants to be with you. He always wants to have a relationship. He always is desiring you he wants your focus, he wants your life, he wants your everything, and he forgives you every time because this is what he wants. When you look behind your life as you keep sinning and there's more grace and you keep sinning and there's more grace, he wants you to turn around and look at your life and say, look at the pile of grace that just encompasses who I am. Look at what God has done. He just keeps forgiving me, and he just keeps forgiving me, and he just keeps forgiving me, but he gives more grace. You have to get it. I have to keep going on this. People oftentimes push back on this and say, yes, but there's a a certain point. No, you don't get the gospel. There's not a certain point that God cuts you off. God doesn't cut you off. If you're really his, you're his. He's not going to cut you off. There's nothing that you can do. Why? Because he gives more grace than you can sin. Your sin cannot overpower his grace. His grace is more powerful than your sin. He's not going to cut you off. It won't happen. And the only thing that he wants is for you to come to him. And I remember like one of the first times I I thought of this. Because I I would sin, and I would just be like, oh, God, I'm so sorry for my sin. And then I would just be like, man, I've got to get this together. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to make things happen. I mean, this hasn't just happened once in my life. Happens all the time. Do you know why you need to be in church? Because you have to be reminded of this. Wake up. Do you know why I have to be in church? Because I have to be reminded of this. Pastors are the worst. We preach the gospel to all of you and then we don't preach it to ourselves. I'm not hearing it myself because I'm just like, oh, I totally bombed last week. And then I'm like, oh, I, I stink. God, I'm, and here I am saying, he gives more grace yet. Now, I'm not preaching it to myself. I need to be in church. I need to be in the word. I need to hear the gospel as much as you do because he gives more grace. There's nothing that you can do to out God, and this is what God wants, with every sin, to boldly come to him every time and say, God, I've sinned again. Let me, let me give you some practical stuff here. He says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride denies the sin. It says, it, morality is a social construct or I'm not that sinful. I've done enough good works. I've had this Twitter battle going on with this guy uh, last couple of days. I don't know if you saw it, but it's, just, it's, it's annoying. Uh, in, in any case, the, the, the whole battle was he's trying to assert, I think, that uh, good works are what allow you to be acceptable to God. It's doing good things. But our assertion is this. The Bible's assertion is this, is that good works don't get you anywhere. What gets you somewhere is the grace of God sh- being shown on you so that you're able to respond in humility. And ha- what do we mean by that? When you see in its fullness that you can't outsend God, what happens is this, is that it changes your heart. It ha- what happens is this, is that it changes who you are internally. And th- what it changes about you is that it says... He has no reason to forgive me, and yet he's forgiven me. It changes your heart and it causes you to say this. Oh, I don't deserve this, but I need this. And so it, it takes somebody from this, like, you God, I I I haven't been that sinful. I haven't done this. The, your laws are wrong to this. To saying, yes, God, it is true. So James says, God opposes the proud. Like, you want to be in opposition to God? Then you continue with pride. But he gives grace to the humble. Do you know what the difference between that is? Let me me just give you an example. Uh, One of my favorite passages. Jesus is in the temple, and it says this in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Jesus tells a story to some people who think that they're just good enough, who think that they've done enough for God to accept them. And he says this, and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed just like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, the other guy, says this. He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his his chest, his breast, it says, saying, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you think that that creates in you this downtrodden lifestyle that says, I'm just such a bad person, I'm just such a bad person? No, it's humility. And the meaning is this, that God does not accept the idea of somebody saying, Look at all of the good things that I've done. I've done this and I've done that. I've read my Bible this week. I've prayed. I've gone to church. I have uh, been on mission. I stopped doing this. I started doing that. No, that's the Pharisee standing. I thank you, God, that I'm not like those other sinners out there and that I know how to clean up my life. God accepts the guy or the girl who says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. You're going to sin on the way home. He just wants you to bring it to him. Just take it to him and say, God, I know that you give more grace than what I've done today. God, I know that you've given more grace. He wants humility out of us, and then he gives us Some very practical steps here. Because of his grace, because of his grace, he wants us to respond out of that humility. He's already forgiven us. He's already blessed us with his presence in our life. He just wants relationship. He's jealous for us. It doesn't matter what we've done. He just wants to be with us. And so he says, this is what it looks like to practice humility on a regular basis. This is how he wants us to respond He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. What's that mean? It means this, I'm no longer over top of God. God is over top of me. I don't tell God what's right and what's wrong. I don't tell him what I've done for him because it means nothing. I don't tell him, oh, I've done this and I've done that and I've done the other thing. No, that's to say, I am uh, over top of God. I rule him. What James is saying here is he's saying submit yourselves therefore to God. The essence of unbelief in God is failure to submit to him in every area of your life. You could have prayed a prayer when you were a kid. If you grew up in the church, many of us did. I did. I was about five years old. Prayed the prayer of salvation, the sinner's prayer. That's nowhere in the Bible, by the way, but I did pray this sinner's prayer, and I received Jesus Christ. Now, I may or may not have received Jesus Christ at the moment. I don't know when God saved me. I just know that he saved me, and I also know this, that I got a scoop of cookies and cream ice cream because I did that, right? I grew up in a pastor's home. Here's what happened. I walked through life saying, hey, you know what? I got fire insurance. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be okay, because I prayed this prayer, but here's the problem with that, is that I submitted possibly one time to him, and I said, I, I said you know, I think I want to submit to you, but the truth is, is that I wasn't living in submission to God, I was living in submission to myself, I obeyed my own urges. I obeyed my own pleasures. I wanted approval, comfort, security, and control, and I submitted to those desires, and those were my God, not the true and living God. And so, what it says here is it says, I don't care when you prayed the prayer of salvation, I don't care when you think that you became a Christian, submit yourselves to God. He's speaking to Christians, especially. You have to submit to Him. You're not in charge, He's in charge. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Knowing that you've been forgiven now gives you a new freedom. And the new freedom is this, is that you can say no to Satan. You can say no to your urges. You can say no and say, you know what? This is not helpful in my life. That's worshiping and serving a different God. This is not what I need. Resist the devil. Like, just say no. Just everybody think real quick. Like, what's the thing that I feel most guilty for right now? Resist him. Because you can. Because he's not over your life. Jesus Christ is over your life. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You must do that repeatedly. Uh, Verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, what does that mean? It means this, a lot of people from our generation are saying, you know what, I'm waiting to feel God. I want to feel like I, like I want to be with God. I'm waiting for him to speak to me. I'm waiting to have this sense of like, oh my goodness, I think it's happening. Oh, He's drawing near to me. It's not what it says. If you wait for experience, you're not going to experience him. You must draw near to God. I've said it before. Uh, Acting in a way that is inconsistent with the way that you feel is not hypocrisy. Acting in a way that is inconsistent with what you believe is hypocrisy. With the Christian faith, you don't sit there and listen to every doubt that comes into your mind. You say this. Yes, I hear that, I know that my feelings feel this way, but by the way, that's not true because my heart is deceitful above all else, and so I have to tell my heart to go away. I have to tell my heart, you don't know what you're talking about, you're not my God. My feelings are not my God, your feelings are not your God, your experience is not your God, God is your God. Draw near to Him, go after Him. Stop waiting around. What are you doing? You're sitting around. You say, I really want to experience God, but you don't make time to be at church with God's people. Go near to God, draw near to Him. Connect with a local body of believers. Stay there if they teach the Bible. Get involved with a community, a community group. By the way, we have those, and so you should maybe join one. That's a good idea. Find some friends that know you personally and preach the gospel to you regularly. Draw near to God. Don't just do this on your own and think, oh, somehow I'm going to hear something. No, I mean, you're just like me. You're going to turn out to be some kind of whack job. With just You read the Bible. You never really listen to what anybody else has to say. And you say, oh, I see, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to have 72 virgins when I get to heaven. This is fantastic, right? You start making stuff up. Draw near to God in the ways that he has asked us to do so. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It means this. Look at your hands. Look at your hands and say, what is on my hands? What's in my life? What am I doing that's causing difficulty? It's examining yourself. It's purifying your heart and then identifying this, that I am double-minded. I'm going after the world instead of going after God. I'm creating hostility with God as a result because of the sin that's on my hands. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is what he's calling us to do. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. That's an uplifting message. Be wretched, let us pray, right? I mean, like, who wants to hear that? But James is saying this to us, be wretched, which means this, to grieve your sin. Stop laughing at your sin. Stop making light of it. Stop thinking that it's funny. Grieve over the things that are causing separation between you and God. And when you're not drawing near to him, you're walking away from him. But what's happening is James is saying, draw near to him, go after him, have relationship with him, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, sometimes we're just too silly to get this thing. We're just laughing all the time. And I'm not saying that laughter is a bad thing. I'm talking about laughter in the wrong things. You're never looking at your life seriously, perhaps. You're just kind of taking it in stride. Just like, yeah, I'm just doing stuff. I'm just kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. And James is saying, take this seriously. Take sin seriously. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Take that seriously. And then he says, lastly, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You want to get close to God? You've got to humble yourself. Do you know what the most humbling thing is to do? Take your sin to him. Do you know why you don't take your sin to him? Because you're too prideful. You know when you offend somebody? Like you offend somebody in an argument, a perfect example again is marriage. If I've offended my wife, it's always hard in the moment to go back and just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I blew up or I'm sorry I said that. You know why? Because of pride. It's my pride that keeps me from coming to Him. And you know what's keeping you from walking up the road to the cross? It's your pride. Here's what Jesus wants. The lag time in between sin and celebration with him for his grace. He wants that to be almost immediate. He wants it to be boom, I sinned and I'm straight at the cross. Lord Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And I know that you give more grace than that sin. And I know that you've covered over it. And I know I don't feel like I've been forgiven, but you give more grace. Would you help me sense that? And you know what it helps you do? It helps you submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And as a result, what James says is this. He says, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. You're, you're judging. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now. He says, you're judging your brothers. You're making yourself God. And he's going to end with that. And he's essentially saying this, that your God complex is causing your poor relationships. Walk in humility. Receive the grace of Jesus Christ. He gives more grace than you have sinned and ever will sin. Keep going back to him. Keep going back to him. Keep fighting that, that urge to continue to sin because he's going to keep being gracious Just say, God, forgive me for taking advantage of that, but thank you so much for the grace that covers even that. And then you might say, you know what? I just don't feel sincere enough. God, would you, I, I'm not sincere when I worship you. And But God, thank you for the grace that covers my life. That even when I'm not sincere, that you still love me. God, help me to be sincere. God, help me in my relationships with work and the way that I respond to people. Lord God, thank you for your forgiveness. Give me more grace as I know you will so that I can be gracious to others. Guys, this is the issue of our lives It's a thing that we're fighting for. It's a thing that we have to have. He gives more grace. You cannot forget it. Lord Jesus, we pray for a deep sense of your grace and your mercy. And we pray that we would be people who are repeatedly returning for your grace. Lord, that we would humble ourselves and acknowledge our guilt, that we'd cleanse our hands and that you, that you would allow us to see who you are, that you are just, but you desire relationship with us more than anything else. So Lord, we pray for that. We pray that that would change who we are. We pray that that would change our marriages and our schools and our community. Lord, that as a result, that you would would do something amazing that would glorify you in our city, that would glorify you in our church, that would glorify you in our world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.